Good morning, everyone. Our worship service is beginning. I invite those of you at home to light a candle during the prelude so that we may all share in the light of Christ during this time. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Limitado. I'm one of the young adults here at our church. Uh, we want to welcome those of you who are joining us in the sanctuary. And we want to also welcome those of you who have joined us through our Facebook live streaming. We're glad you're with us for this time of worship. It would be helpful if you would like our live stream or leave a comment so we know you're watching. Thank you again for wearing your mask while you are out of your pews. And remember that this is one of the ways that we can follow Jesus' commands to love uh, each other. Uh, and now for some announcements. Uh, you might have noticed that uh, neither Kathy or Emily are here this morning. They've left us in charge. And luckily, you don't have to hear me improvise a sermon that's being done by someone else. So <laughs> no problems there. Uh, today is Laity Sunday, a Sunday that has long tradition in the Methodist Church, a Sunday in which the Laity leads all parts of worship. We want to thank all that are helping us with today's worship. As Kathy has reminded us, it is not the pastors that make the church run, it is the Laity. We are fortunate to have a congregation filled with people who love God, love St. Paul's, and want to serve both. As we start our worship, St. Paul's United Methodist Church acknowledges that the land on which we meet is, was, and always will be native land. This land was inhabited by natives for thousands of years before the Europeans arrived on the southern plains in the 1500s and was once inhabited by the Spiro peoples. We acknowledge the indigenous tribes to Oklahoma, the Wichitas, Catos, Plains Apaches, and the Quapaws as the original custodians of the land in this place. We respect those who came here as a result of the Trail of Tears, the Choctaw, Cherokee, Creek, Chickasaw, and Seminole people. We grieve the violence done to native language, culture, and personhood. One of St. Paul's core values is reconciliation, and we embrace the ongoing work of reconciliation among all God's creation. May this awareness and work towards reconciliation be ever present with us. And now I'll turn it over to our deaconess, Sandy Wickbird, for the prayer of preparation. Good morning. I'm Deaconess Sandy Wickbird. Deaconess home missioners are men or women who serve in lifelong callings of love, service, and justice, either inside the church or out in the world. It is an order specifically for lay people and does not require ordination. Many years ago, I married my husband, Ben, and became United Methodist. And I remember whining because they had just sent us our third senior pastor in five years. Ben told me, if you're going to be a Methodist, you just need to get used to it. I thought, well, okay. He said, the pastors are not the church. They will come and go as the spirit directs. But we, the body of believers, are the church. Okay, so... <laughs> Ben may have been a United Methodist longer than I have, but I still say that we are very lucky, may I even say blessed, to have the ordained clergy that we have here at St. Paul's. They get up here every Sunday, full of humor, full of grace, and they make all of this go so smoothly and look so easy. Um, today, we're going to light two candles on our altar. One, um, in memory of all the men and women who have lost their lives defending our country, and one in memory of the teachers, teachers and students who died this week in Uvalde, Texas. Let us pray. Almighty God, you pour out your spirit of justice and grace on all who desire it. Deliver us when we draw near to you from cold hearts and wandering minds 
that with steady thoughts and kindled passion, we may worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for all those people who work to make a worship go smoothly each week. And thank you that our prayers join with those of siblings around the world, that together we can glorify your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, ethnicity, income, nationality, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. <clears throat> Gracious and loving God, tomorrow is Memorial Day. So this Sunday, we want to tip our hats and our hearts to the ones in our own lives and in the life of St. Paul's UMC who have served their nation. We truly thank you for them. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. You asked for our hands that you might use them for your purposes. We gave them for a moment and then withdrew them, for your work is hard. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. You asked for our mouths to speak out against injustice. We gave you a whisper so that we might not be embarrassed. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. You asked for our eyes to see the pain of poverty. We closed them because we did not want to see. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. You asked for our very lives that you might work through us. We gave you a small part that we might not have to get too involved. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Gracious God, our hearts are numb with pain as we again hear of death and despair caused from gun violence. Families mourn, children live in fear, and the nation keeps asking why. We ask, O oh Lord, that you comfort those families wounded by the events in Uvalde, Texas. Lord, in your mercy. Let our hands connect to those who feel alone, those who live in peace, and to those suffering from mental illness. Let our voices be raised among lawmakers to protect all in our society, especially those most vulnerable. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, forgive our efforts to serve you only when it's convenient for us to do so. Only in those places where we feel it's safe to go and only with those who make it easy to do. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. And now let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would stand for the reading from the gospel. In 
The gospel reading this morning is from John chapter 17, 20 through 26, and I'll be reading from the common English version. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray they will be one, holy unifier, just as you are in me and I am within you. I pray that they also will be with us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are. I am in them and you are in with me and so they are made perfectly one. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you have loved me. Holy Parent, I want those you gave to be with me to be where I am. Then they can see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous parent, even the world didn't know you, but I've known you and these believers know that you sent me. I've made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that your love for me will be with them and I myself will be with them too. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Titus was a prison guard in an ancient Roman city. This was a good career, but it wasn't one that was always a given position for him. You see, he had to work very hard because he was a free person. He wasn't a slave. He wasn't a person of nobility or family status. He had to work hard for everything he had. This meant an uncomfortable life of seeking out positions. It meant not eating every meal. It meant not having money for everything that you might want to have money for. And so growing up, he knew that he did not want to maintain that life. And so he, from an early age, had a strong drive to always be his absolute best. And he took every opportunity he could. Once he was a teenager, he managed to secure a job at a, a blacksmith job where he poured himself into that job entirely. His efforts paid off too. He became known for his work ethic and determined spirit. That respect that he earned from the blacksmith also extended to the blacksmith's family. And before too many years, he had married the blacksmith's daughter. Together they started a family and he continued to work hard and turn heads. And before long, his efforts caught the attention of a commander within the local uh, military. They were not able to offer him a high-ranking position due to his lack of family status, but they could give him a job as a prison guard. So off he went into the service of the Roman government where he continued to pour himself into his work completely. And he did his job with absolute dedication because he knew that his value to society was tied directly to how well he did his job, and in turn, his value dictated how well he and his family lived. And make no mistake, he did his job very well. One of the prisoners in the jail was a traveler by the name of Paul. Everyone knew Paul. 
Titus did not like Paul. He viewed Paul as lazy. Who quits? What could only be described as a perfect job as a high-ranking officer. Titus might, have, uh, may, might lack family status uh, to be in such a position, but he more than makes up with it for drive and determination and hopes someday that he could achieve just such a thing. And can't imagine why Paul would give up all of that just to wander about chatting with people. It's absurd. He didn't understand it. So, Paul, uh, so Titus and Paul showed nothing in common, not, uh, but it didn't matter anyways. Uh, it didn't matter who was in his prison. He did his job just as he always had. No one had ever escaped and no one ever would. And frankly, Titus wasn't that worried anyways. Paul and his companion were just chatting with the others and didn't appear to be trying to escape. So it didn't make any difference. Titus did his job. It didn't matter who was in his jail. What happened next occurred so fast that Titus had no time to react. There was a loud clatter followed by the unmistakable sound of jail doors opening. As Titus heard this, he only thought one thing. He had failed. All of his hard work, all of his dedication, all of his value to himself, to his city, to his family was gone. The prisoners had escaped, and he'd be blamed, and in a few hours, it'd be, uh, the truth of his failure would be discovered. He would be tortured, his family would be dishonored, and all the wealth and all they'd worked so hard for would be dispersed. He made up his mind right then and there that uh, maybe if, if he were to die and the struggle, his family would be spared because they would just see that when the prisoners escaped, they, they attacked him. And so his mind was made up and he drew his sword. Titus gave all of himself to his work in his community. And once that was removed, he had no sense of self left. In the mid-1990s, Ahmed Best was an inspiring actor living in Brooklyn, which was a city that he loved dearly. One of his favorite features of the city was the Brooklyn Bridge. He took walks across that bridge any chance he had, um, and, and, and it would bring him a sense of calm. As an inspiring actor, he took every single acting job that came his way that he could fit into his schedule, and with time, that paid off. One night, he was performing with a group called Stomp when he learned of a scout with, from Lucas Films that was in the audience that wanted to speak with him. Before long, he was swept up and on his way to Hollywood to play the character of Jar Jar Binks in the upcoming first installment of the Star Wars prequels. Not only was he going to play this role, but he also had a part in designing brand new tech that would be used to where when the actors would move, the CG character would move along with it. That had never been tried before in a movie, and he was part of designing that technology, which is still used to today. If you see that in a movie, the technology they're using, the code they wrote, was written along with Ahmed Best. And he poured everything he could into that because he knew all he had to do was work hard and someday he'd be a star and the rest would be history. When the movie came out in the late 90s, Jar Jar was not well received. In fact, it's pretty universally panned. He was mocked openly in public and sparked outrage amongst many Star Wars fans. Character is seen as not belonging in the movie. 
He was too silly looking or he sounded funny. Ahmed had put so many pieces of his own personality and so much of his sweat and his effort into that character that when the torrent of com uh, criticism came in, he had a lot of trouble separating himself from Jar Jar. One morning, he was walking across the bridge in a state of restless indifference. He looked out at his beloved city, but it looked different, grayer, out of focus. He walked up to the railing and climbed over, and he took one last look at the cityscape, and he thought, well, I had a good run. I did the best I could, and I guess this is it. In the next moment, a strong gust of wind came along, and he knocked him off of his balance, and in that moment, Ahmed caught himself. And in doing so, he found that small voice that was down inside of him that told him he still had life left to live. Next, climbed back over the railing and went home with a resolve to just get through the next day. And then the next day, and so on. 20 years later, Ahmed posted a picture of himself on Twitter, standing at that spot with his nine-year-old son, having come back to visit the Brooklyn Bridge for the first time in all those years. What Ahmed discovered in that moment is that he had value from within. A worthiness that was separate from what society gave and then took away. But a worth that is being who you are because you are who you are. I wonder if things would have been different for him had someone had been around to remind him of his value as a person and help him to see that he was more than just his roles. Criticism's never easy, but could he have handled it differently had he had a support system that celebrated him as an important and beloved person for whom God loves and was proud as they celebrated each acting role that he got? Paul and Silas were traveling when they came across the bizarre sights. There was a slave woman that was enter entertaining a crowd of onlookers. The person that was gathered, uh, was gathering the attention of the crowd, was charging money to come closer in order to see the spectacle better. And it didn't take long for Paul and Silas to see that this woman was humiliating herself. She was doing silly things, she was fortune-telling, she was running around, chasing people around, entertaining the onlookers at her own expense. Well, as the story goes, Paul gets out his Holy Spirit wand and he waves it at the girl and he utters a quick, Expelliarmus! And she's healed! <laughs> I've never been a huge fan of those notions in the Bible because I feel like if that's the case, then God could really do this on his own. But what we know is that God limits himself through us. And so he uses what we already know how to do. Or he uses the skills that, that we've been encouraged and we've developed. I can't imagine that, that this whirlwind of, of, um, of the Holy Spirit would quite look like that. So I've got a different possibility of what that might look like. Paul was a good speaker. And so what if, instead of this being a, a quick moment, like the scripture su suggests, the Bible's never great with time, what if instead they took several days, possibly more than that, 
And they started talking to this woman and explaining to her how God's love means that she is better than these cheap tricks or these jokes at her expense and taught her a better, deeper understanding of the love that God has. And slowly the winds of change happened through the Holy Spirit and through carefully considered words. And before long, this person was a changed person. Of course, the, the owner of this woman would, would not be thrilled because now she's not making the money that she once had because her heart's not in it in quite the same way. I'm sure being a slave, he continued to force her to perform, but it just wasn't the same. And the money dried up there. And so being angry at Paul and Silas, of course, called the gods and off they go to jail. So I'd like to suggest that instead of a sudden magical moment, what if it is a, a conversation that happened over several days? I believe that Paul is a very purposeful and strategic thinker, perhaps a bit hot-tempered at times, but I would imagine that he has given a great deal of time and consideration into exactly what his position is and exactly what he wants to say on most topics. So in this story, when they mention this whirlwind of the Holy Spirit, I don't think it meant a physical or meteorological wind. I think it was referring to that wind of change. That change that happens when the Holy Spirit supports the, the, the natural abilities that we have within us, and we see something happen that we thought, huh, okay, let's, let's go with this, this is working. So let's fast forward to that evening. Paul and Silas are in jail, and there's many others in there as well. We don't know too much about what Silas is thinking, but Paul's not worried. The bigger picture that we can find in, in this story in Acts is that they were out on a journey to establish and strengthen the churches in and around Rome. And so that's what Paul does. They so start by performing miracles and, and pulling out that wand again and, and, and doing these major miraculous things. Nope. He starts with conversation and prayer. I think he tells them the things that he knows that they need to hear because they're the same things that we need to hear and be reminded of. That you are important. That you have value in the eyes of God who watches over you and takes care of you no matter what. No strings attached. I love that phrase, no strings attached, when I think about God's love because it means it comes without conditions. God loves you, the end. End of story, end of sermon. Okay, maybe there's a little bit more sermon left. <laughs> so Paul and Silas are in jail and they're, they're talking to others and they're telling them about this bigger picture. Society wants them to think that they have no value if they have no status. They're in jail, so that's it. They're at the bottom. That unless they are like everyone else, they are no one and have nothing to offer. What Paul is telling us is that this is absolutely not true. This is not what God has for us in our lives. The story says that Paul and Silas prayed. I suspect that that prayer felt a lot like the prayer from John from this morning. Holy Parrot, I want those you sent to me to be here with me. Then I can see, then they can see 
my glory and know that you sent me and that you loved me for so long. Then I can make it known that love will now be with them too. This is the message that I believe was caught up in the winds of change that evening. But Paul wasn't done there. He knew that there was one more that needed to hear this message, even if they didn't know it yet. <laughs> Paul needed to speak to that guard that was watching over the jail. Luckily, the prisoners, when working together, some of them may be now believers, others recognizing that a, uh, a prison guard that believed in love and justice is better than one that doesn't. So they all get started and they help break Paul out so that he can go visit with the guard, Titus. Paul arrives at the doorway just in time to see that Titus has drawn his sword and is ready to depart this world rather than face the, pr uh, the punishment of a prison break. Paul could have waited a minute. He could have said, well, there's one less person against me. But of course he doesn't do that. He quickly exclaims, wait! No one has escaped. We're all still in here. In fact, I was just hoping to come visit with you for a minute. And they visited. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be a fly on the wall for that conversation? A chat where Paul breaks down a flawed social construct of external worth and replaces it with one of love-centered construct of self-worth resting in God's love that radiates out contagiously. The holy winds of change blew that night, to say the least. Titus was a changed person. Paul and Silas planted the seed of another church. God's love radiated. There's a little known but great American philosopher that maybe you've heard, from, heard of from time to time by the name of Dr. Seuss. My absolute favorite quote of his is this, today you are you. That is truer than true. There's no one alive who's youer than you. I love this quote because it reminds us that we are each important and an irreplaceable part of God's world because there is not another of any one of us. We have our own traits, our own skills, our own styles, ways of thinking, ways of viewing the world. I think of this all the time when I'm thinking about my boys. They're, they were all raised in the same house, same parents, same rules, and yet each one is so very unique and important. As such, this means we also all have our own ways of carrying out the mission that Paul started oh so many years ago. We can all show this shareable, contagious love through our actions and our words. This does not mean that it has to be this major burst of wind moment where we drop some insane truth and someone's life has changed forever. It can just mean having a chat with somebody. It can mean showing them that you've noticed the good that is in them and that you celebrate that. It's awkward, believe me, I know. I'm not a huge people person. I do great with people I know, but when I'm out in public, I tend to stay to myself. Uh, I, I was talking to someone earlier, and when I go to the grocery store, I put headphones in, because I don't want to talk to people about tomatoes in the produce aisle. It's not that I, I want to be rude to them. I just don't want to have conversations with people. I'm here at a grocery shop. 
that's where we're going to leave it. <laughs> and so uh, a few months ago, I was um, at pickup for my, my two boys at school, and there's another person there, and she's telling me a story, and in, in the midst of her story, almost accidentally, I go, I'm really proud of how much work you've done in getting this, this issue that she was working on worked out. It was almost an accident. I was still in kid mode. I have two kids at home, and I tell them I'm proud of them all the time, and I got to school, and I guess I was still in that mode. So my response was, I'm proud of you. <laughs> it was awkward, and I was uncomfortable. <laughs> but she smiled. And then I noticed after that, she would come back every once in a while and tell me about some other thing. And we would celebrate that moment, too. And before long, I came to recognize something that it wasn't on purpose, but I, I recognized that celebrating that person gave them maybe a little boost. I don't know about their support system. They're, they were a stranger to me. But maybe they needed to hear that in that moment. I suppose that ultimately what I'm suggesting is that we pay attention to each other. However, in the light of this week's events, I also think it's important that we talk more about mental health. It's been a hard couple of years. Well, it's been a hard lots of years now. And we are all under an enormous amount of pressure to stay safe. And sometimes folks go to unhealthy lengths in order to feel that they are safe or in control. There are things that we can do to make a difference. If your work offers a, a training on mental health or trauma-informed care or social-emotional growth or sensitivity training, consider taking it. If you become aware of a community organization that offers a training to the public on these topics, sign up if you're available. Learn the early warning signs that a person is hurting because early intervention is absolutely key to preventing many dangerous scenarios from occurring. If you see that something is off, say something. That's sort of what Mary's book was about. The, you say something. If something's off, it can be a little thing, like mispronouncing someone's name. You never know when that's the 30th time that person's name has been mispronounced or that someone's been called the wrong name. Lord knows I'm awful at calling people the wrong name. Is Dennis here? I'm so sorry I've called you Craig so many times. It happens. But say something. It wasn't until I got home and I was talking about Lolly and Craig when uh, Mary goes, I think his name's Dennis. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you never know when early prevention might notice that someone just needs to be heard or someone needs to know that you're proud of them. And if you need resources, we've gathered a list of lifelines and crisis lines that are they're on our website. You can go to stpaulstulsa.com forward slash lifelines. There's a list there. It's not complete by any means. And if you're aware of something that's not on there, let me know and I'll be happy to put that on there as well. Because you never know when we can be that gap that bridge and that gap of just slipping someone a phone number or calling and finding out how to respond to something. If you see someone that's going down a bad path or if you see something, you're like, 
Hmm. Did you say something to somebody? And there's many people in the sanctuary. I know that uh, Megan and, and Lauren are both on their way to becoming psychologists. Uh, my wife, Mary, is a therapist. If, if you ever have questions, I'm, I'm sure that any of them would be very interested. I'm sure there's others as well. I know you're never supposed to name names because then you'll miss somebody. So if I've missed someone, I'm very sorry. Um, but there, there's people here that you can talk to to maybe answer some questions to help you learn more about how to respond. And in this, we can be who God called us to be. A people working to make the world a kinder, healthier, better place where all can be safe. In the name of the one who calls us, amen. amen. Today you are you. That is truer than true. There's no one alive who's youer than you. And as we grow to understand more and more about the love that we have for God and that God has for us, that that love radiates out contagiously. Go in the name of God. Amen.